What do you think is America's best idea? It's a good answer. Baseball, good answer. Well, according to novelist Wallace Stegner, he contended this. The national parks are the best idea we ever had. Absolutely American. Absolutely democratic. They reflect us at our best rather than our worst. Now, our national park systems were designed to help us set aside some of the most stunning and pristine lands here in America so everyone could enjoy them and not just some. It was an idea born to prevent some of our most beautiful settings from being overrun by greed or commercialism like what happened around Niagara Falls in New York. These parks were to be sacred places for people to be able to stand in awe of the beauty and the wonder of God in places like Yellowstone and Yosemite, the Grand Canyon and the Grand Tetons, Zion National Park and Acadia closest to home in Maine. I've been to 12 of the 63 national parks, my favorite being Glacier in Montana. But each of these places uniquely remind me of a truth that is found in Scripture. Probably my favorite paraphrase of the message version of the Bible is Psalm 33.5, which says, Earth is drenched in God's affectionate satisfaction. We live in a God-bathed world, don't we? And not only do these places remind me of the goodness of God, and they seem to be a stunning proof of his existence, but they help me feel like I'm experiencing a homecoming of sorts as well. The signage, the trail markers, the visitor centers, ranger stations, they all have this wonderful kind of nostalgic vintage feel to them that seems to serve as kind of a time portal, bringing me back in time. Bring me back to when life felt less divided, less hostile, but more true and good and beautiful. This summer, my wife and I snuck away from the kids for a, about five days and went down to D.C. and Shenandoah Valley National Park in Virginia. And we found the experience driving along Skyline Drive, uh, canoeing down the Shenandoah River, hiking part of the Appalachian Trail to be just the thing our souls needed. On the road, from time to time, I thought about these preserved places like Shenandoah being an example of what I might contend would be America's best idea. And that started to get me thinking, got the wheels turning. What do we think God's best idea is? What would you say God's best idea would be? If we consider the bookends of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 to 22, we start to see that from a small group, Adam and Eve, God is creating a community of people of agape love, Christ-like love from every generation, every area, where one day when he returns, he will be the center of that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. In other words, the very love and joy that God experiences within himself as a relational community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, what he experiences, he wants to share that with everyone. That's why he's created. Perhaps that is God's best idea. Which then makes me wonder, 
where do we fit into that idea here and now? What would be the expression of God's potential best idea here and now? And I would dare to suggest today that perhaps it's the church. It's what we're a part of right now. Now, when we look at the difficulties, the pains, the horrors of church history in some respects, maybe the negative associations we have with church, it could be hard to imagine a little bit that thinking church is God's best idea. But I feel like I've gotten enough glimpses of that community that is to come, that when church is at its best, it leads me to believe that perhaps community, congregation, church is a better idea of God's than we can possibly fathom or wrap our minds around. And it's this very hope of what is to come that has caused me to devote my life to wanting to serve and build up the local church. And out of God's calling for each and every one of us today, I want to challenge us to believe that the church can and still is a very good idea of God's, an idea of which we are to dedicate our lives and our service to building up and rebuilding as well. Well, it's a joy to be with each and every one of you here at Crossway Christian Church. And big hi to our friends in Milford and everyone watching online and everyone here in Nashua. I'm Dave Ripper. and just have the privilege to serve here as our lead pastor. I'm excited to welcome you to this day. And it's a day that I admit I feel just a host of emotions. It's, it's September 11th. And like many of you who are maybe my age or older, I can distinctly, vividly remember sitting in my senior English class in high school, watching this thick, bulky television broadcast of the most horrific sights I've ever witnessed. And the sorrow of that day still seems just as surreal to me now as it did 21 years ago. But I do thank God for the freedom we can experience. I thank God for all the women and men who serve our country. And so if that's you today, I want to say thank you. While my heart is heavy, my heart is grateful. And not only is my heart a little heavy today, but uh, my heart is also joyful today. Our daughter, Avi, is just celebrating her second birthday this very day. There she is with all that curly joy in her hair. She's a go-getter. She came two weeks early, and we weren't anticipating having a girl born on 9-11-2020 of all ominous dates that you could enter into this world, but she's bringing a lot of joy out of a day typically that we remember with sorrow. But not only am I kind of lamenting and also rejoicing, but today I am hopeful and expectant for what we call Vision Sunday, a day when we officially begin our new ministry year together across all of our congregations and online, where we want to look up and we want to get a picture of what God would call us to do, who he would desire for us to be in this next season and year ahead. Last year at this time, I challenged our church to give church another chance. A lot of us had our lives and our faith just so disrupted by the pandemic, and so we said, let's just try and get back into this. Let's try and rebuild some church-like habits of pursuing God and building community and unleashing compassion. And I am thankful, and I praise God that I stand here today rejoicing in all that God has done over the last year. 
We've just seen our, our attendance just return. We've seen engagement uh, to increase. We see our giving to be strengthened. We finished our fiscal year with about $36,000 surplus, uh, and we finished that in July. And above and beyond, our giving has just been admirable. It's been blowing me away. Above and beyond the 10% that our church gives away just through our budget, we gave to important causes through world relief to impact Afghani refugees and people suffering the consequences and effects of the Haitian earthquake and bringing relief to people from Ukraine. And then with our partnership with World Vision, bringing clean water and hope to some of the most vulnerable children, our church has given above and beyond over $100,000 just to that organization alone. We've been giving church another chance. We have been becoming to be the church yet again. And I praise God for a prayer he has answered. I've prayed earnestly that God would help us as a community do a disproportionate amount of good relative to the size that we are. And God has answered that prayer mightily. And so I want to say thank you and praise God. Amen. So I'm grateful to stand here today, and I decided to dress up just a little bit since it's Vision Sunday. We've got a wind at our back, some momentum carrying us forward. And as we kind of look out to what God is calling us to do and to be in this year ahead, a phrase from the book of Ezra in the Old Testament seems to capture what God is calling us to do and be, and that is to rebuild the house of the Lord. Rebuild the house of the Lord. In, in the book of Ezra, which we'll study in about a month for six, seven weeks, Ezra finds himself with a group of people who were exiled from this region of Babylon, kind of modern-day Iraq, and they're called and allowed to come back to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, and they find their home just kind of in rubbles. It's disconnected. It's not the way that they left it. And the first thing that God wants them to get into place, to get back in order, is to rebuild the house of the Lord, the temple. Not just so they can worship God individually, but so they can collectively come to live out the calling God has given to them together. Together. And what I've been fascinating is over this time, over this last year, there are a lot of us that are engaged, a lot of us that are excited. But one of the things we did over the summer to try and begin getting the wheels in motion to rebuild the house of the Lord were these summer parties. And we had several hundred people go to these different homes and just connect with one another. And as we listened and as we saw such a great response, it revealed to us as we were just hearing each of you share we were excited about the heartbeat of discipleship that Crossway has. We love that we're unleashing compassion and, and, and pursuing God, but we need to do a whole lot more of the building community side. We don't just want to practice the way of Jesus. We want to practice the way of Jesus together. And so that's going to be a big focus for us in the year ahead, that we would together be practicing this way of Jesus and so we want to focus on the one another, that maybe old school idea of church, of fellowship. How might God not just help us be pursuing him individually, but what special thing might he be doing to help us connect with one another as we seek after him? So the first step we're going to take toward rebuilding the house of the Lord is going to be these next five weeks. It's a new series that we're kicking off that you can read here that says Trailhead, Trailhead. If you've ever been to one of these before, you know that it's a point at which a path begins. It's a start of maybe a new hike, a fresh experience, a significant endeavor. 
Or like the trailheads that we find in America's national parks, they can be like the start of a journey that brings us home to remember who we are, what we are to be all about, and what God might be calling us to do next, calling you to do next. Now, if you've been a part of Crossway the last couple of years, we, you might remember that we offer a course that's called Trailhead, and it has four key components to it to help people get connected and involved in the life of our church. We want people to be welcomed and known, needed, and grown. That's with a W, not an A. There's a lot of A groaning in the church these days. This is grown spiritually. But for this series, we want to add a fifth key element that we believe when we are doing these five things, we are helping to put the key pieces of what church is to be, not just for us as individuals, but what church is to be together. Welcome, known, needed, grown. And that last component is sent. That we want to be sent out to share and to spread the love of Christ here and all over the world. And so, I believe these key five qualities that I think speak to a longing all of us have to feel welcome, to be known, to be needed, to have a role, a part to play, to be grown, to be sent and equipped, all reflect what the first picture of church that we get is all about. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This little first glimpse that we get of what the local church was all about is going to be the text that just anchors our journey these next five weeks as we learn how to together be a welcoming community, how we start to know one another and be known by each other for how we can serve and be needed to take our place and do our part to be the family of God together, to be grown spiritually and to be sent. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And if you would, wherever you are, please stand as we hear the very words of God this morning. Here from the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. Let's hear what happens after Jesus ascended to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. And what is God doing in these beginning embers and flames of the church's life together? The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Awe came upon everyone, because many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as they had any need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. These are God's very words. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a vision of church this text provides, doesn't it? Oftentimes, we get frustrated with church. I've kind of seen this text, though, employed as kind of ammunition. Well, this isn't really true church because this is what it was like back in Acts 2, and we are so far away from that. And while there's some truth to that, if you read just a couple of chapters in Acts, you start to see this kind of ideal situation starts to be filled with conflict and controversy and some challenges. And perhaps God 
allows this because we don't just grow spiritually while we're all living in perfect harmony together, but actually when we start to feel some conflict or some disagreement, sometimes God can use these challenges not as obstacles, but as avenues, as opportunities for us to become more and more like Jesus. But in many ways, I think this scene is kind of like the trailhead of the New Testament church. It gives us a picture of where we are going to be headed, what we should be aspiring toward together, no matter where we are in our faith journey. Now, the key phrase beyond that word fellowship that I'd like for us just to focus on particularly today is in verse 44, which says, all who believed were together. They were together. Now, at the beginning of Acts, we know it started small, just about 120 believers waiting for this Holy Spirit to come. And the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes. People start speaking language they, languages they couldn't speak, proclaiming the gospel. Peter gets up and preaches, tells the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And 3,000 people are added that day. Powerful, powerful. And we shouldn't be surprised because before Jesus left, he gave us these words in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And 2,000 years later, we have seen that to be absolutely true. We're witnesses of this today. And the clear sense I get from what this local church this group of believers was doing as they prayed and fellowshiped, as they studied scripture, shared meals, saw signs of awe and wonder. I get the undeniable sense, although it's not explicit, but implicit in the text, that they were a welcoming community. They were a welcoming people. Now, one thing the text doesn't say is that there was a group that stood at the door and they kind of had the name tags on and they greeted people and they made, certain groups of people made everybody feel welcome and the rest of them just kind of sat in the back and, you know, maybe gave a nice nod or shook hands when they were forced to, you know, didn't want to be uncomfortable. No, it's not just a select group of people that were welcoming. You get the sense in what was happening, that kind of it factor was that everybody was playing a key part in the lives of one another. Everyone was knowing each other, speaking into one another's lives, encouraging each other. They knew each other, which means they had to invest in knowing others and being known by them, which is what we're going to talk about next week in our message, Known. Welcoming was not just for the few, as they might say in Texas. It was an all-y'all kind of thing. Everybody owned this. Everybody did this. Everybody was on the welcome team. And I think that's an example we can learn here for us today. Welcoming others is more than just putting donuts out for people to enjoy after service, which we will have donuts out after service today, all right? So enjoy. Hospitality is more than just setting out food for us to enjoy and share. Hospitality is about opening our lives up to others, to make time for each other, to take a risk, to get to know each other. Someone encourage us wherever we are, Milford, or online, or here at the pond. Hang around a little bit longer. Linger on the chat. Hang around after the service. Look for somebody that you don't know. Get to know them. If you don't have a name tag on yet, put one on. Start to know some names. Talk about that. 
They were a welcoming community to each other. And there was no exclusions. Everybody was allowed to step into this journey. Every background, every kind of way of life, because God loves all of us as we are. But while God loves all of us as we are, he loves us way too much to leave us that way. He wants all of us to be just like Jesus. And so while we are to be a welcoming community to one another, I believe we see in the practices and the life of this early church, we are also to be a welcoming people to the presence of God. We are to welcome God. We see the ways they welcomed God were through practicing things called spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are just simply something I can do that will help me experience more of God than I could just by direct effort. So they studied the apostles' teaching, anchoring their lives, yielding to Scripture. They praised God. They worshiped. They fellowshiped. They prayed. They shared communion, which we'll do after the sermon. They shared their belongings with one another. They met each other's needs, all key spiritual practices. And what was the result of people practicing this way of Jesus together? I love how verse 43 describes it. It says, awe came upon everyone because many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Awe, wonder, a sense of the transcendent right in their midst. Don't you long for that? Don't you ever tire just going through the same motions, coming in, going out, maybe opening our Bibles for just a little bit here and there and just kind of seeing the same results? Don't you crave and long for more? I believe if we do, then we need to open our lives up to God more and more and more. We need to welcome him, to let God in. About 10 days ago, a group of our staff went away on retreat together to a conference center in Ringe, New Hampshire called Toanippi. Toanippi, beautiful spot. And as we were preparing for a time where our staff was going to scatter all throughout the property uh, to just practice silence and solitude, fundamental spiritual discipline so we can better welcome God into our lives collectively and individually, I shared a prayer that I think captures the spirit of Acts 2 so mightily. It's written by my hero, Dallas Willard, who was the most Christ-like person I ever had the chance to be around. And I think a summary of all of Dallas's books and teachings could almost be captured in this prayer. Let me just read it to you, and I encourage you silently, make this your prayer here today. I believe it's a prayer that will help us welcome God so we might experience more of this Acts 2 community. Here's Dallas's prayer. My prayer for you would be that you would have a rich life of joy and power, abundant in supernatural results, the constant clear vision of never-ending life in God's world before you, and of the everlasting significance of your work day by day, a radiant life. And death. Let's just leave that up there for a moment if we could. Maybe you want to snap a picture of that prayer if possible. In my own walk with God, about three years ago, even before the pandemic, God was starting to really put on my heart this invitation to say, Dave, I'm calling you to reflect my joy. 
Since God is love and self-sacrificial service toward each member of the Trinity is what God does, C.S. Lewis kind of described God as the happiest being in the universe. We're the most joyous being in the universe. And just as joy is at the heart of who the Trinity is, I felt like God was inviting me to spend so much time pursuing him that my life would, would reflect the very joy of God. And God has been answering that prayer for me, not fully, but partially. I've been experiencing so much more joy, and I start to see joy being reflective of what the culture of our church and our campuses are here all across Crossway. Our staff life, it just seems to be permeated with a sense of joy, a pervasive sense of well-being, that even though everything might not be okay, we know we're still well off because we are with God. And as I think about the next stages for my own life personally and our life collectively as the church, I feel like God is now drawing me toward the second part of this prayer. Not just to reflect my joy, but to expect my power. Expect my power. He's not causing me to seek my own individual power or influence, but to open up and welcome God in such a way that what if our lives, our church was filled with abundant supernatural results that we could only say, only God did this. I don't know about you, but I crave that. I long for that. Not just joy, but joy and power. Expect God's joy or reflect his joy and expect his power. Now I'll confess, I don't really always expect God's power. And if I'm really honest, I might not always really want God's power in my life. Because if God is working in powerful ways, it's probably going to defy the categories I have set up in my life for God to operate. It means I'm probably going to lose a sense of control. And that's daunting. It's a little frightening. It makes me a little fearful, a little too maybe cautious, and causes me to maybe play it safe. But I want to encourage us as a church to dare to pray more boldly this year that we, as we rebuild the house of the Lord, we might experience more supernatural results. And to help get us off on that path, I would like to just kind of adapt this prayer that we could pray out loud wherever you might be watching this now. Would you pray this prayer with me? Let's say it together. God, we ask that you would bless us with rich lives of joy and power, abundant in supernatural results, with a constant, clear vision of never-ending life in your kingdom and of the everlasting significance of our work day by day. May we have a radiant life and death. To rebuild the house of the Lord, we must welcome God in this way, and if we're welcoming God in this way, I believe we naturally, easily, routinely will be a welcoming presence toward one another. I'm really struck by that as last couple of words that Dallas prays, a radiant life and death. To be a witness in this world, Dallas would say we would be children of light, to draw on that metaphor from the book of Ephesians. I was just reading this past week from the Christianity Today magazine, and it said, oftentimes in life, it's a lot easier to shout in the dark than to light a candle in its midst. 
And I think a lot of times it's easy, especially for us as Christians, to just shout at the dark. It's so evil. It's so wrong. But I believe God is calling us instead to light a flame, the flame of what he might want to do, to pierce the darkness, to shine as stars in the universe right where we are. Then in the midst of darkness, our neighbors, our family members, our friends might see a light burning in and through us. And I believe that light is lit by joy and the power of God at work in us. And as we could be that light, I believe everyone, everywhere, might be drawn to the love of God more and more. That would be a church with supernatural results. And I'm thankful today after our 11 o'clock service at the pond that we have people taking a big step of baptism who have experienced that draw toward the light of Christ themselves. So what are some next steps, some practical applications of what I've shared today for what any of us can do to start to welcome one another and to welcome God, to reflect his joy, to expect his power? Let me give you five practical things. First, I would encourage us as a church to memorize this passage, Acts 2, 42 to 47. Let's memorize it together. Hide God's word in our hearts. Someone once asked Dallas Willard, who practiced a lot of spiritual disciplines, what was the most important for you? And he said, where he experiences the most power of God in his life is day by day memorizing Scripture, an important spiritual discipline to really welcome God into our hearts. I want to challenge us. We're going to be in this text the next five weeks. Let's internalize it. Let's hide it in our hearts. Let's meditate on it. Let's chew on it. Another step here. Today, after our services in, at the Pond and the downtown campus, and then next week in Milford, we're going to have a special ministry meeting for families and parents whose kids are in our children and student ministries. One of my real desires and prayers for the kids and the students of our church is that they would experience a little bit of Acts 2 in their own community, amidst their own age group. They would be studying God's word. They would be praying. They would have fellowship and friendship. And a big part of how that can happen is for you as parents to be investing in your child's faith development. And we as a church are committed to coming alongside you to do that. So Pastor Melissa Cosman and uh, Pastor Tommy Riley, you can excuse his uh, uh, dress and apparel here today, a little Miami Dolphin stuff. I mean, come on, you know, playing the Pats today. That's okay. But they will be here after our service right here uh, at the Pond and next week in Milford. Stick around if you're a parent. We'll kind of talk about the scope and sequence of what our kids are going to be involved in over this next year, what we're teaching, so you can come alongside them to help disciple them. Thirdly, if you're brand new to Crossway and haven't connected, we couldn't come up with a better name for like a welcome event, so we're just calling it Dessert with Dave. Uh, I'll be there. Some other staff will be as well. It'll be a week from Monday. Uh, That'll be on September 19th at 6.30, probably in a lobby here of our Pond campus. And if you'd just like to know more about the history of Crossway, our vision, our values, well, to connect with other people. I want to hear your story. I don't just want to come here and talk and eat. I want to hear about you. We want to hear about you. Come on out for that. If you'd like to register, we will have child care. We will have dessert. You can register at office at crosswaycc.org. Just shoot us a message. It's a great way to get connected to the life of our church more. Two more. Coming up on September 27th is what we call our Alpha Course. All over the world, I believe this is one of the greatest shining examples of what Acts 2 community is all about. People from all walks of life 
sharing a meal together, hearing about some of the life's ultimate questions to grapple with them and to do so in the presence of friendship and community. We have seen so many people take big, bold steps of faith, connecting with others, coming alive like never before. That will meet on Tuesday evenings at our downtown campus starting September 27th. If you've never tried Alpha, try it. If you know somebody who's never tried it, maybe you want to come with them to participate in that life-changing experience. And then lastly, to get really old school and really practical, to be a welcoming community here, I would encourage you, keep a list of names, okay? Today is kind of like the cheat sheet day where everyone's wearing name tags, okay? And you might have, I know that person, and they've kind of been like, you, or what's up, bro, or hey, friend, you know? And this is the chance to write down names. One of pastoral mentor of mine used to keep just a three-by-five note card, and as old school as it gets, write the names down right after he would meet somebody, and then he'd pray through that list every week. And then he'd be able to greet those people by, week, by name the next week. And one of the things I love so much about the New Testament church is how personal it is. There are lists after lists of names. Just read Romans 16, name after name after name. And I believe we can go from being crowds of people to congregations, from people we might just be relatively familiar with to being family, as we commit to knowing one another's names. I want to be a personal church. Help us in that cause. So let's think about what's the next step God might be inviting you to take, to be a welcoming person at our church, to welcome God more in your life, to reflect his joy, to expect his power. What's the next thing God's inviting you to do? Well, as we wrap up, I just want to share a story from where I've seen God build community to help people pursue him and unleash compassion so mightily just over the summer. Uh, before summer kicked off, we recruited a whole big group of people through World Vision who have decided we're going to run a half marathon on October 1st, the New Hampshire Half Marathon in Newfound Lake to raise money for clean water so that people who have to walk nearly uh, four miles to get access to clean water, especially in, in drier parts of East Africa, they can have wells and clean water access right where we are. This is just a small group of the people that are doing that so far, our team has already raised over $30,000 for that important cause uh, to make themselves suffer as well. But it's a great thing. Now, we meet at 7 a.m. on Saturdays to run ridiculously long distances at a very early time. But one of the neat things is we were kind of sharing about our experiences running. I was telling how probably the last 10 years or so, I've, I've run, I've run uh, several half marathons, one full marathon. I tell people that a half is twice as much as a full uh, any day. But the reason for that is I was kind of disclosing one of my running uh, pitfalls or short, shortcomings. Once I get above about six, seven miles, my feet start to fall asleep. It's bizarre. I've, had, I've, I've tried all different kinds of shoes. I've tried different kinds of socks. I've, I've been examined by my doctor to make sure my circulation is okay. And I was telling this to a group, and uh, we were blessed to have a running coach join our team. He's sitting right down here to my left, uh, Kevin Washington. And Kevin, uh, he is a stud of an athlete, runs, you know, competes in triathlons, and I was sharing this to him, and Kevin's just like, Dave, you probably just have bad posture, bad form when you're running. 
I've been doing it for a long time, but evidently not been doing it the right way. So he gave us a little lesson about proper running form that truthfully has been a game changer for me. Kevin stood here and all of us are kind of like watching in and he said, if you want to find the right form for running, you need to kind of just fall forward and where you naturally land, catch yourself, that's to be your natural stride. So you kind of fall forward, so you're not leaning back when you run, you're not hunched over, you're just kind of slightly leaning forward, and that's your stride. And when you've hit that stride, you really want to push off as hard as you can with your foot. And as you're pushing off and keeping your body all in the same direction, when you're running, it should feel like a rope is attached to your chin, uh, just pulling you forward at this kind of good angle. So I ran some good distances with Kevin, and he's kind of calling out, hey, you know, rather than leaning forward, you're kind of leaning back just a little bit here. And when you're running, you're kind of a little too flat-footed like this. And I run that way because I have a lot of basketball injuries, and I would, my ankles crack when I walk uh, or run sometimes. I was reminded of this running yesterday. Uh, Josh Burnett from our pond campus was like, hey, I'm going to call you uh, Rice Krispies because you sound like snap, crackle, and pop. He's like... I'm not sure if, like, you know, giving one another a hard time is there in the, the, the Acts 2 church, but maybe somewhere in Greek it really means busting your chops is what they did a lot in there. But, uh, but I was starting to gain my distances, and I can tell you, in just listening to Kevin's counsel, Coach K here, not Mike Krzyzewski, this is the real Coach K, uh, I was able to run 12 miles and didn't have the slightest bit of, of my feet falling asleep whatsoever, so I had better form. Now, I'm not here just to teach you about running, but I share that because I think the spiritual implications of this are absolutely profound. Instead of leaning forward and really pushing off and accelerating and really pursuing God and building community and unleashing compassion, I think a lot of times in life, because we're maybe fearful of the power and work of God, instead of leaning forward, we often can hold back. We can start running kind of like I have been. Yeah, I'm kind of along for the journey, but I'm kind of getting pulled along against my will. There are things that maybe I'm latching onto that if I just let go of, trusted God with, leaned forward, lived in faith, not by sight, God might propel me forward. You might be here today and you've been going to church for maybe your lifetime, but when it comes to fully committing to Christ, really trusting him, you've still been holding on to something you're kind of just dragging along. And I think for a lot of us in church, we've maybe had some bad experiences. We feel burned. We maybe just feel jaded. And we're not just ready to be all in and to invest in God's community. We've kind of been holding back like this. But I feel like there is such a rush of the wind of the Spirit at our backs that's holding us, not only holding us up, but pushing us forward, inviting us to just lean in, lean in, run in that right way. Don't just walk, don't just jog, but let's lean in together. And I believe, church, if we trusted God that we are each called to be a rebuilder for such a time as this, not holding back, but leaning forward, kind of falling forward, trusting God with faith and boldness, believing we can reflect his joy. We can expect his power, that he would help us find our stride together. And if we had that stride together, what could God do? Awe and wonder, I believe, would be the results if we welcomed God and welcomed each other in that way. So how are you holding back? How are you kind of going against your will? Where are you reluctant? Let's trade our reluctance for relinquishment and confidence and courage to follow hard after God.
for such a time as this. So will you be a rebuilder? Because as we find our stride of welcoming and knowing one another and being needed and growing and being sent, welcome, known, needed, sent, welcome, known, needed, grown, sent, as we find that rhythm, I believe we will start to experience like never before the church very might just be God's greatest idea, an idea we want everyone to get to get a taste of and experience personally. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this powerful vision of what church could and should be. Help us not to live by sight or by fear, but by faith. For anyone who's here today and just feels like they've been holding back, maybe holding back in their walk with you, may we lean forward. May we take that next step of faith to say, yes, Jesus, I'm not going to just get drug along any longer. I want to follow you wholeheartedly. Say yes to Christ today, maybe right in this moment. Or maybe you've been just a little skeptical of church and been a little reluctant, holding things back just a little bit. Maybe today is the day that you make a defining moment to say, I am going to be all in. I want to be a rebuilder of God's church to work toward this Acts 2 vision. Invite God in and ask him to empower you to be that kind of welcoming presence to others, to take your place, to do your part, to be God's church for such a time as this. So God, I pray that we would experience a rich life of joy and power in this season to come, starting now. I pray it would be filled with supernatural results. May we have a clear vision of the never-ending life with you that you've made available to us. And may we grasp the everlasting significance of our work day by day and live radiant lives for your glory for the good of others, and for our joy. We pray all these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen.